from Denver and welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger and just finished a weekend of comedy shows with my friend Chad Daniels who uh, filmed a comedy special that I hope you get to see very soon. I've never really seen someone devastate a room so thoroughly during one of those tapings. They're usually a little, it's just kind of a stilted atmosphere with everyone looking around and seeing the cameras, but it went great. I hope you get to see it. And if you came out to the shows, Thanks for saying hello. Apologies to Erica. I didn't see this message, but she uh, had messaged through the Patreon that she was coming to the show, and I, I hope you made it. And if not, I feel bad because I, uh, in the future, email me directly or email pings at the Space Cave, and I'll get you some tickets, especially if it's a comedy club and not like a, a rock venue or something like that or, you know, a little um, independent theater of sorts. Those comedy clubs, they can... They can swing those tickets. So I hope you made it to the show. I hope you had a great time. And yeah, in the future, especially Patreon people, say, hey, man, I'm coming to the show. I'll get you some tickets. And yeah, I hope to see you at a future show. I don't have a ton booked at the moment. I've been taking a little bit of a break, but it was kind of fun to get back in the mix and and do stand-up again. And I'll probably get back out there soon enough. Anyway, thanks for supporting the show. And... Uh, listening and whatnot. And this this guest this week, the the chat, the hardcore chatting, is with a longtime listener, Professor Blastoff person, who just always was was present, always chiming in, always tweeting, always saying you know an email from time to time with updates or just hey guys keep up the good work. Just a very positive person, and made a trip out to L.A. and our schedules worked out well enough where he was able to stop by the Space Cave. He was twenty minutes early. That's the first time for that. I, I don't know that I would recommend doing that in the future if you're going to be in, if you're going to be a guest, but um, it didn't throw anything off too much. It was just surprising, but he made up for it by bringing his own beer, and it was delicious. We talk about that. Here is Green Circle Award winner and all around nice fella and author, part one with Stephen E. Yates. Okay. So we had some Belching Beaver. It was the milk stout. So the peanut butter milk stout, I think, is new and. I have had it, and it is like candy. Is it? You can you can have. I mean, I've had, I've had it on a couple occasions where I had maybe two or three, and I was like, that's too much. Yeah, it's so sweet. But the cloying. first one, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> it's really fantastic. So a lot of a lot of beers are like that. <laughs> that first sip is amazing, and then it's like, oh, I get it. There's just too much of whatever in it. Yeah, and I'm. I think as I'm getting older, I'm a little more sensitive to the sweetness of it than I previously was. Oh, I can't IPAs that are so that every bar you go to, it's you know twenty IPAs and then two other beers. Yeah. As an old man now, fifty eight, my I, my stomach, I can't t- take the hops too much hops anymore. Yeah. And the, the local brewery, we have a local little micro. And they don't brew anything normal. Everything is clove, ginger, <laughs> uh, you know, 8% alcohol, double imperial, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, 
you know, you you might get more business if you had you know, four taps. If you put one tap on like pale ale, mm-hmm. something pilsner. Yeah, we have a a bar where we do the junk show, and they're all every now and again they'll copper ask. still the right. copper still they'll they will ask. Uh, from they never take my recommendations, but they'll <laughs> ask like, "What do you think for beer?" And I'll those are the type of things I offer them. Like, well. You have this and this and this. Maybe if you not that you need to have Bud Light, but if you have something that just anyone coming in that says I like beer, maybe you have like a Blondale or a, a Pilsner or something like that, and uh, they never do it. I, I was listening to your conversation with Dave Clock, and you started you're talking you talking about beer there. Uh, also, I'm a home brewer, yeah. And so my last batch, I, I, I usually brew a lot all at once and then drink it for like a year or so. Uh-huh. So I made two porters. And uh, one was heavy coffee, and the other one was maple. Mm-hmm. You got to put so much maple syrup in beer to get any maple essence at all in really? it. Really? Oh God, it, it costs a fortune. It's, uh-huh. it's ridiculous because maple syrup's expensive. And, I, and I've made eighty batches. This, these are like eighty three and eighty four, and uh, came out great. Would not carbonate. Hmm. So I've got still porter. I've got five gallons of still porter to drink. <laughs> And I tell people, it's like, like need. And they're like, well, I say, you know, no gas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, the queen of Queen Victoria used to drink still beer. And they're <laughs> like, yeah. Do you have any Budweiser? <laughs> well, Stephen Yates, good to see you. And good to see you here in the Space Cave. It's officially. wonderful to be in the Space Cave. Yeah, I, man. Uh, it's a dream come true. Let's crack these Alpine Beer Company beers. And you have headphones there if you'd like to use oh, them. Oh, yes. Sometimes absolutely. people drift away from the mic a little bit or, or hit the table. And so the headphones oh, yes. just kind of help. Now you can hear what the podcast listener will hear and here is that's an authentic that's two so people know it's real and that's an authentic (laughs) you have to do really bringing him in on this oh wow this is mostly for matthew who who emailed and said i like that this is a foley art at its best Truck Trail American Pale Ale. I'm finding, and that with all the things that are going on now, it feels like any level of nationalism is kind of like, ugh. But as far as types of beer, I like. I had an English Pale Ale the other day, mm-hmm. and which is weird because like the IPA originated that was English soldiers and that whole sort of thing. Yep. But it was like kind of an English pub Pale Ale. And it was it was a good like middle of the day, just what we were just talking about. We were like, ah, this is a really smooth, easy to drink beer. Yep. And the first few sips, I was like, Ugh. I just I thought it it was too plain or something. And the more I was drinking, I was like, this is perfect for right now. And then the American pale ale, same thing. I feel like it's way less hoppy. It's not as sugary. So I'm into them lately. And I do kind of like that the name is American Pale Ale, but with the times currently, it feels like if you went, like, oh, I have an American Pale Ale. America. Give me my oh. America beer. None of that other stuff from <laughs> some other country. Which is, I mean, uh, how, how, what percentage of the beers that are really popular right now are brewed in the United States? 99.99%? Because the craft movement has supplanted, I think, a lot of what used to be Imports, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be the fancy guy had Bex and Heineken, yeah, and maybe you know uh, uh, Bex Dark, and he was, oh, <laughs> this guy drink, whoa, he's a, this is an exotic guy here. I absolutely, I, I think I've forgotten about that, but then also <laughs> immediately I remember some friends of mine in in high school they weren't drinkers, so when we went over to their house and opened their refrigerator, and we were kids, so we were just looking for something else, but I remember seeing Bex and being like, 
who are these people? Oh, yeah. Everyone I've ever known up until now, it's Coors Light, Bud Light, or Miller Light. That's right. Pretty much that's it. And maybe the, the actual original Coors or Budweiser. But in the movies, yeah. The guy that was drinking a Heineken, you're like, I don't like this guy. It's too slick. He's I tried to, to be with that your guy. Wife. I couldn't be that guy. <laughs> I, I always would fall back to the Budweiser that we had for the keg or whatever it was. Yeah. But uh, every once in a while, I would try to get fancy. and uh, But that used to be it. It was imports because there was... a you know, again, uh, going back to my age, I remember before all of the craft brews. Do people ever guess that you're 58? You look much younger. Oh, uh, we don't generally make a sport of the guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't, no, I haven't, uh, haven't had anyone guess high or low or oh, guess okay. at all recently. I always feel like people that are 58 that look substantially younger spend a lot of time going, how old do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> but you don't strike me as that type. No, no. <laughs> Beer, I'm gl- it's it's nice when uh, someone comes in here. Do you want to throw that other one in the refrigerator? You think that be okay? w- might not be a bad idea. Okay, let's take a little a pause, pause real quick and we'll right. do that. Beer, let's see. Yeah, beer, beer drinkers, I feel like, or beer, oh, there's so many types with the uh, the current, uh, just like the the guy with the Becks or the Heineken that would, that would be the, the bad guy in the movie. They've tried to, even Dave in the last episode was talking about that a little bit, didn't really want to be the guy that goes up and says, well, what kind of hops is that brewed with? Or where is this? It just seemed like such a jerk. Well, you know, some places encourage that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where I am, there's a, a, a microbrewery and they, and they have the hops out, the pellets out at the bar and they encourage you to touch them and squeeze, squeeze them and smell them and all that stuff. And so I guess it's, you have to kind of know when and where to show your snobbery <laughs> and uh you know you don't always have to be the guy that let me explain to you that hollow tower ha- hops you know, have this character but there's mosaic hops that have this other character and yeah. that's what's so special and i'm special because i know that <laughs> by <laughs> extension a, well anyone that has oh what kind of computer is that what, you know and they start going on like, you're ram actually when this and you're is that a solid state drive right, the and, label yeah and they just the they want to show off so much of how they know which is impressive and necessary and if everyone did know computers it would cease to be impressive so with beer there's a place in glendale um i think it's called the glendale tap they have they s- circulate beers and they have maybe 50 at any given time on tap it's right. really really nice but going in there maybe it's just because it's los angeles or it's just the the times, but it's very diverse. And so sitting down and chatting with people of various ages mm. and ethnicities and them being like, hey, I'm just here because I really like beer and I like how many different types I can get here, which isn't as common in L.A. as you would think. There are just a lot of hmm. breweries that have their own right, you know, right. assortment. But to be able to go to a place where you can get every every type stuff from all over yeah and so the last time i was there i thought oh this makes me feel way better that it's not a bunch of curly mustached you know like tight pants there's a, yeah, there should be a contingent of them you know <laughs> present just to validate but yeah there's a place like that in new york that i go to uh on the lower east side and uh they have so you know 25 or 30 taps uh but as we were saying earlier so many of them are ipas yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like Wow, if you've got, you know, the potential for so much variety and yet you've chosen to do shades of exactly the same thing for most of them. Uh, but I, it, it is interesting when you see somebody from uh, elsewhere, another country, and they come to a place like that and they're trying something that you would never try. And it comes in a you know, oddly shaped glass. And it's like, wow, that <laughs> looks you know, very thick. What is that? And, you, you know, you learn something uh, because, you know, for eight bucks a glass, you, you know, you're not usually going to experiment you know too much although some of them will, will you know indulge you if they've got time to uh, i like when they have you. like a, a six or eight ounce option so you can just it's not quite a sample and you're paying right you know three or four bucks for it or something but 
that's nice because then you can feel like oh i had 10 beers but they add up to about three right and i get to sample around and taste that's pretty nice i like that yeah but i never understand the shape of the glass this one has to be in a snifter this one comes in a frosty mug this one it funnels the aroma to your nose in that way that a straight cylinder never would (laughs) (laughs) i do I, i feel so bad not bad but i'm remorseful of early on the first maybe 100 episodes or so i don't know if it's been that many but the the guest would have more of like a snifter kind of glass and it really is it forces it right into your snout you know because it right well your nose is fully inside the glass yeah i don't know there is a difference i i hate to give any credence to that or whatnot or maybe maybe it's just the way you hold it or the way you drink it but you are plowing your snout right in there Yeah, I try not to plow my snout <laughs> right in there. Get it in there. Because I've got a, I've, my snout is significant, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I've never noticed a difference. One glass to another. So you feel fancier drinking, you know, heavy weighted glass. But uh, I just used to, when, when I lived in England, I loved just those regular dimpled, you know, pint mugs. It was just a standard thing yeah. everywhere you went. And just seeing one would, you know, oh yeah, that's where we're back in the pub. When you say dimpled, are those the ones that come up? They've got a little bit of like, like a tree sometimes gets that growth. Like they just come out and then they bubble a little bit and then continue to be a pint. No, these are, these are 20 ounce glass. Uh, they're, they're almost, they're, they're spherical ish. And then they have big dimples in them oh, yeah, uh, yeah. around the side. It's a classic. Yeah. You've seen them a yeah, million times. I know what you're talking about. And then the, the pale ales that they typically serve over there, they, they often call bitter, which yeah. is ironic because it's not particularly bitter by today's standards. And so when I went to went back to England, I, and I just, oh, here I am. I can use all of my old knowledge, my old stomping ground. I'll have a pint of bitter, please. And the young lady behind the bar who was, I think, from Czech, from the Czech Republic, looked at me, bitter what? You want a bitter drink? <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, just just have one of these beers, please. <laughs> my old knowledge, it's all circa 1975, and so you know, things have changed since then. My, my, Were you my, studying there? What brought you to England? I, my dad worked for an oil company, and we got transferred over there for a couple of years, and so I went to the American School in London, and I still keep up with some of my friends from there. I had lunch with one yesterday here in Los Angeles. Nice. and uh, it, But it was, you know, tr- I was... 15 when I got there, 17 when I left, so I never drank legally. Uh-huh. <laughs> the statute of limitations is... Uh, Didn't, no one really cared, though, right? You know, I love to tell the story. I went to this the little Scottish pub that was in uh, St. John's Wood, uh, where the, near where the school was, and I used to pass it every day, and I said, oh, boy, one of these days I'm going to go in there. I'm gonna, and so a friend and I went in one day, and there was this little, the, the quintessential Scotsman behind the bar, everything but a kilt, red hair, the beard, and uh, I said, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, two pints of bitter, please. And, uh, and he looked at me, you know, long time seemed like silence, and then he goes, are you teen? <laughs> and I said, I, I beg your pardon? Are you teen, your age? And I'm like, uh, and I wasn't. And I, yes. Well, what do you have? <laughs> and then he just poured us as many beers as we wanted. And it was great. But that was the extent of, of uh, that was the only time I was ever carded while I was there. Wow. And really not a thorough process at all or a difficult one to skate. Oh, no. They, it was the, I will take your word for it. If you, if you, <laughs> it, listen, I can't imagine you'd lie to get a drink. <laughs> And going back as an adult when you asked for bitter and they didn't know, did you have anyone with you? Because that's the worst feeling when you're like, let's go to my pizza place. Hey, give me the blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> give me the thick slice. I, you go, We've ne- we have never had that. Yeah, you did. 20 years ago, you did. <laughs> the, the, when I took my family over, I gave them, 
you know, just as you would imagine, just the dad being too much dad. Uh, okay, now when you get over there, the uh, restrooms are going to be labeled WC, and that stands for water closet. Oh, right, yeah. And I said, but everybody just calls it the loo. So if you want to, you know, know where the bathroom is, say, where's the loo? And so you know, and I just pound this into them through these, you know, this indoctrination before we travel over there. And then we get there, and my, you know, daughter's with you know, precious little smile. Yeah, you know, she goes up to the man at the thing. Excuse me, can you tell me where the loo is? And he goes, I beg your pardon. And she goes, the bathroom. And he goes, it's right over there. <laughs> and then just, you know, at that point, it's like, well, I guess we can just cross all the stuff dad told us off the list. That None of that's important. When I was in Scotland last, but a few years ago, we were in London, and I didn't really hear anyone saying fag, which I felt like they, even though they knew that they very frowned upon here, and communication and the whole world being just one neighborhood, really, you would think that would have been done away with quickly. But when I was just in Scotland, I didn't hear it at all and really didn't hear it a ton in London. Or when I did, I thought like, I feel like this person is purposely doing it because they're aware. I think they, well, they they get all kinds of American entertainment over there these days. And uh, yeah, I think they're aware and I think they're also very um, sensitive to that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I I think that uh, the average person over there is, uh, you know, cognizant of what's the right term to use for this person or that person yeah and uh, and they're trying to do the right thing and i would imagine that seeing what they see uh in, in the media they would say okay this is a term we ought to back off on on the other hand there are other words that they use very more frequently than we do <laughs> yeah, um, the c word the c word or, or the f word i i uh, yeah. i was visiting a friend uh, uh summer before last of uh, uh Terrific guy. We spent a little time together. He's a guitar player, so we were in a guitar store, and I'm watching him play. It's just amazing, and uh, and we. Uh, but I was. I said, you know, I've got a, a dinner reservation, so I'm gonna have to cut out at some point. And so as it was started to get close, I'm just having such a great time. I didn't want to pull myself away. And finally, I said, Hey, Matt, it's you know, it's seven o'clock, and he goes, Oh, so you got to f off? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like. And the way he said it was just so, there was so much friendliness and, and all in it. And I had never, I mean, there's always a little bit of a spice to that, you know, that word when somebody hits you with it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I, that's that's what I'm going to do now. It's like, all right, see ya. I, I think there's something so, not appealing about it, but it's comforting in a weird way. That, I like, love it. When, in the United States, like, we know where malice starts. Right. You just, it's a tone. I'm sure they have it there as well. But when someone there, especially drinking in a pub, goes, oh, fuck off. Right. It, it just means like, oh, you're kidding me. Oh, right. that's unbelievable. And I, I like that, that it's... It's so absurd that we have like can't show the nipple in anything, or we're, we're where did all this come from? That we're we're the frontiers people. We're the ones out there exploring and and finding out new areas, and well, and, and yet we become these oh oh not the nipple. Don't say those words. Those words are bad. Another centimeter over, you'd have been fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I. I, I uh, I think that there's it's great when you can take the power away from those words. Mm-hmm. And for a while, you know, and, and I don't want to get too too deep into it, but, you know, with the N-word, there were people that would use it a lot trying to sort of normalize it to take the sting away. But Lenny then there Bruce, were people, yeah, we talked about that with Ryan Stout recently. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I'm, there's I'm a little behind in my <laughs> space cave uh, uh, listening. But uh, – uh, you know, now, of course, it's you know it's it's highly politicized, and that's our word, and that's not for you ever. And I hate that words get to be that way because they're you know George Carlin. You know, what's a word mean? It's just it's whatever meaning you assign to it. If yeah. you assign no meaning to it, then it's meaningless. It's all just sounds. Right. I used to think about that as a kid. I, my mom gave me these 
in third grade, we had to go in every day and just write just like a sentence or a paragraph mm. just to get the juices flowing, our you know, creative inspiration. And so mine were kind of funny. It was fun to read. Like, man, third grade, I was, I was, I was really trying to be funny. And there's one thing where I wrote, like, I think we had, to, she would write a thing on the board, a prompt. Like, why do I like February? And I wrote, like, I like February because my jokes work better or something like that. So I was clearly, like, thinking, like, oh, my friends like my jokes. And then one of them, I still think this is really funny. And if a little third grader said this or I saw that it was written, I'm like, I like this kid. Uh, it's, it's something about like why are words important or why are syllables or why are letters? And I was like, well, because we can arrange them and not have to call everyone Beverly. And as a little kid, <laughs> I think that's such a sweet thought. But even as an adult, like what a weird society if everything was intonation and voice and eye contact and Beverly, 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 Beverly. And you could just communicate with just those syllables. Right. But we have access to all these other ones. But flagling. In some language, that might be a terrible term. Right. But to us, it's just such a stupid made-up thing. Like, what would you say? How dare you? I, I had to hear what it said. I have this vague recollection of a kid, or two kids getting in a fight in, when I was maybe in like sixth grade. And then someone whispered in one kid's ear. And then that kid, to the other child, who was of a different ethnicity, said a slur uh, term. And the kid just looked at him like, clearly didn't know what it meant. Right. And then... If you were writing that in like a movie scene, someone else would whisper in his ear, like, right. here's why you should be mad. The ugly education. The education of like, oh, I feel terrible. Right. And this thing that didn't mean anything to me a second ago, now that you've explained it, I'm I'm horribly upset and yeah. now I want to punch you. Yeah, there's a slang term, uh, a P word in the UK, uh, for P- I think it's a Pakistani descent. Okay. And I didn't know that. And so when I was reading this article about how someone had come under fire for saying it, I thought, okay, now I carry that around with me. It's not a word I ever knew existed, nor would I ever say accidentally, because I didn't know the word. It's like flangling, or it's just absolutely asinine. But good to know. If I hear someone say it now, I can go, hey, hey, please, don't say that word to me. Don't say it in private company. And I'm we have not to, comfortable. We pass these little secrets around, and it just seems odd. Well, you, know, you bring up a, 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 I, something that's been on my mind a lot lately, and that is good things are happening in that there's more acceptance. Gay marriage, transgender, all, you know, all these things that were in the shadows that people either didn't know about or they had weird thoughts about are now coming out into the open, and people are saying, oh, okay, this is, this isn't, there's nothing to be afraid of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's, so that's changing. And so, again, I'm, I'm 58, and so I remember when I was young, the, the, what you heard on TV was the word Negro. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is one of the Negro leaders in the United States, Martin Luther King. And then in the 60s, you know, black became the term. And, of course, I'm, I'm not trying to explain this to you like you don't know it. But it's just for the older folks out there, grand, people even older than me, you know, making the change from from one to the other they felt they were being progressive then yeah and maybe they don't keep up in circulation with you know they're not watching the right shows and they're not listening to podcasts at all perhaps and so you know if they use the word that that was progressive for them that's now antiquated and seems awful to us you know to me they're I wish there there was a way to sort of kind of take a time out. No harm, no foul. You didn't mean any harm by that. Yeah. Here's why somebody might be offended by that. I know you're 95 and you may not want to start learning new vocabulary at this point, but understand that you might be upsetting some people when you say that. Yeah. But it, it you know, but with no malice. Yeah. And I think of so many, you know, people because my both my parents are from the south. I never heard either of them use the N-word, but mm-hmm. I heard lots of N-word when I was down there as a child visiting. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, my, my, you know, again, I, I never heard my father use that word. I remember uh, uh, talking to him at one point, and he said, uh, "I said, well, who was? You know, tell me about these, this person that you were working with." And he said, "Well, he's a colored fella." And I said, "Dad, it, you know, it's 1980. You, you, you know, we don't say that anymore." And he goes. Well, that's not, it's not a bad thing. I said, no, no, it's just, it's just not what we, it's not the term we use anymore. Right. And he's like, yeah, all right, well, I, I, I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> and, and again, no malice at all, but it's, you know, I have, I have two children now. So my kids who are in their 20s, they are totally woke and totally, you yeah, know, yeah. up on this is what you say, this is what you don't say. Oh, hey, yesterday, so-and-so just came out as being a, a, a an assaulter or a, aggressor. And so now he's a bad person. So let's not reference them him anymore in a positive way and it's hard to keep up yeah and as somebody who's kind of backed away from a lot of news and politics over the last few years uh, i'm i i fear putting my foot in my mouth someday when oh boy that, that we don't use that word anymore where have you been Patton oswalt and i think two specials ago or something had a great the, the perfect sort of crystallization of who an ally could be because when people get too caught up, he was like, one point that he made was that people were really hard on RuPaul because a certain <laughs> uh, language or whatever she is. And he was like, if anyone laid their body across the barbed wire fence in this war, it was RuPaul. You, she, it's an immunity. It's immunity for life. And yet, well, she used the wrong pronoun. Like, settle down. <laughs> you, you get a pass from certain. But he was saying that it's the meaning, you know, certain, uh, say like Republican senators could come out and use the right terminology and say hideous things about like, and while we respect this, we do want to keep it traditional, et cetera. Oh, Essentially yeah. saying, we don't want them to marry. We don't want this to happen or X, Y, or Z. Whereas someone's like, hell, if them two queers want to hold hands. And that pro- probably just hearing that just now sounds weird, to, like jarring. Like, Oh, sure. But if you met that person and you hopefully would allow them some antiquities or if you knew their heart if you knew that they'd be like hey get in the car come on you look like it's it's hot out i want to give you a ride you're colored fella huh whoa hey whoa the intent everything right. there you know you hopefully on that car ride you could have a conversation like as it goes yeah colored is not the preferred we'd prefer something else if you wouldn't mind but on mlk day i listened to the i have a dream speech he says the Negro, the Negro in the South right, needs right. the ability to vote, and the Negro in New York needs something to vote for. And such a beautiful sentiment, and yet if you're just focused on the language, you'd right. go, well, that guy's not too woke. Right. And so I or think you these hear the com- word, dude, boy, I can't believe he used that. Oh, yeah. you know, forget about all that beautiful stuff he said about you know cooperation and learning to lo- live together, but ah, that, that one <laughs> word, I just wait. Yeah. And I think there's value in, because some people I'm sure listening say, well, why, well, two white guys talking about this? Right. That needs to happen as well. It, obviously, it, it, immerse yourself and talk with anyone and everyone of every different creed or religion, ethnicity, shade of whatever. But also talk with people that you think, what if when this guy goes off with his friends, he's saying terrible things, which obviously neither of us assume about one another. No. But I think there's value in that. And because... I've had friends say to me like, but why can't I? And I have to reference a conversation maybe I've had with someone. Well, here's why. Right. And then they hopefully carry that with them and go, oh, okay. Now I, now I see that differently. You know, I think that little transaction of here I am, the 58-year-old white guy, and I say something that a 58-year-old white guy would say with no hate in his heart for someone to then, and as my daughter can do sometimes, dad, that's really not what people say these days. Yeah. And you know, Hey, I'm happy to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think so many times it's, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And, you know, if you're out in the out in the wild and uh, and suddenly it's becomes, you know, the, the temperature gets very high and people become very emotional. 
and I think it's something that we, as hopefully this progress continues and more and more groups get the rights that they deserve and have been denied for so long and the people that were you know, only in power due to, you know, uh, might and not right, you know, fall, hopefully, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of people you're, that are going to need to be not re-educated, but just, you know, updated on things. And uh, more and more old people in the population percentage-wise every day. <laughs> and so, you know, those young woke people, you know, you got to help us old folks to, to get along. You know, I, I think there is a lot of uh, uh, justifiably, you know, people look askance at 58-year-old white guys in business suits or whatever, although I don't wear a business suit very often, uh, and say, well, that, that's that's the problem there. That's those guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're not all the same either. You know, I I didn't I didn't vote for any bad people for president. <laughs> I, I watched uh, Requiem for the American Dream, Noam Chomsky. I love Noam Chomsky. Mm. I think he breaks it down so... I mean, here's someone that, you know, was directly affected by the Holocaust and has suffered persecution and and for his beliefs and for things that are very mathematically and or uh, empirically data how am I trying to say this (laughs) via data they are empirically supported whether the, he's not just someone who looks at trends and goes, I think that means this. He's right. someone that looks at things, I feel like, very matter of fact. Clear thinker. Clear thinker and a rational thinker and, and someone that doesn't let his emotions get the best of him. As someone I just, I trust as a voice in what is everyone trying to share their voice in the world. You go, all right, this person is saying things passionately and I can see why people are interested in like info wars and things like that because he's so passionate and such an idiot. It's based on nothing. He's such a moron. Whereas Noam Chomsky, it's based on like, here's here's some recorded history. And I feel like in that documentary, they really concisely break down how the powers that be, the very ultra wealthy, uh, clearly want a, a workforce that is tenuous at best and always nervous it's going to lose their the position oh, sure. and balance. has an enemy that is not them. The worst is everyone that's the proletariat looking up at the same time and being like, we, all of us, young, old, we're all mostly not as well to do as you guys, and that unites us. Right. But instead, we're, they've found new ways. And so you could blame the media. You could blame a number of things that like, hey, you're not woke. Hey, you're using the wrong term. Like, I'm not the enemy. Right. We are together in this. Right. And that gets so frustrating. They, I, and I know this isn't a popular thing. I try, I've had this conversation a number of times. I think privilege obviously certainly exists. And if you have a, a lighter complexion, if you're yep. a Caucasian male. individual male, and yep. you think that you know everything's equal and the same and that you weren't born just, just by going through a red light and, and having a cop show up or not show up, whatever advantage you gained there, it's real. But I think the real problem potentially is the oblivious nature to it. To think that, like, no, 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 we all started at the same place, we're running the same race, that's the problem. The, pr- the privilege, it exists, and the more that people are aware of it, hopefully that will allow people to be like, hey, I'm an ally, like you just mentioned, I don't know maybe all the right words and terms, but I want things to get better, I want us to topple them, the actual they, the the mean ones up at the top that pull the strings, and I think they're real. There, there's so much uh, anger that it's very difficult to have that sort of rational, you know, uh, discussion mm-hmm. uh, with, with people. Uh, and I don't know how it got this bad this fast. And, you know, it's, it's just like Gandhi and Martin Luther King would say, 
ultimately you have to have one angry person suddenly come to their senses and say, I'm not going to fight about this. I, I want to talk about this and, and mm-hmm. try to try to move things forward and, and try to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, you know, these are all, these are very hot button uh, uh, topics. And I understand why, because of the history of abuse and, you know, finally someone's got a voice. They're not going to whisper. They're going to shout because they're angry. Mm-hmm. Um but you often it's that person that then has to you know like Martin Luther King said it's, it's so difficult to resist the urge for to, for violence and to be uh, uh, to to instead sit and reason with someone uh, and it's also not macho and it's not uh, theatrical and uh, there's mm-hmm. no immediate satisfaction from it. Uh, I love when we get to see it in sports because then you can really commend it. We're like, oh man, look at this team. It's like they met in the locker room and said like, just keep bumping them, just keep. You know, getting in, the, and when that person loses their cool and gets a technical foul or gets thrown out or whatever, right. you go, "No, they were doing that on purpose. You fell for it." But when you know the person you're rooting for on your team is able to just kind of rise above it, and things smooth out at the end, and then a lot of times they come over and shake hands after him, like, "Dude, we're trying to get you. Didn't get you." In the book I just gave you, I, I, I talk about the uh, when I was at, at the University of Connecticut, the uh, they won the national soccer title one year, and. They had a tremendous home court, home field advantage. Uh, it was a small field, and there were just a few bleachers, but we would pack the bleachers and surround the, 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 the field. Mm-hmm. And it was an extremely intimidating, very unsportsmanlike <laughs> environment to play in. Uh, but we were playing, and this was, this was the rationale that we used, was all of our players are not only from the United States – not only from Connecticut, but many of them are from Stores, Connecticut, the actual town where where the Yukon is, and so uh, so the, the the crowd had these coordinated cheers that they would do, and they were obscene, <laughs> but they weren't shouted; they were whispered. And so you you'd be you know you're you're watching the game, and all of a sudden you know you hear, <laughs> and you're like. What's that? Ox, ox, and you're like, wait, what? What do they say? And then they're, you know, Brown University sucks, and you're like, whoa, wait, what? What was that? And then suddenly you hear, it's like, wow, we had five thousand people whispering the same, and they would go on to the next. It was like a, there was a songbook of the cheers that was unwritten that people just knew, mm-hmm. and so you'd see the players too. It's like, whoa, whoa, what are they saying? <laughs> because it just, you know, kind of rose out of. The, out of the din. I don't know how we got to that point, but uh, it was uh, it was this sort of unfair advantage that we had. Uh, but at the end of the games, a lot of times, uh, especially the goalies, that we'd have people right behind the goal, you know, harassing them and just riding them. And at the at the half, when the goalie would change ends, our hecklers would change ends as well. And but <laughs> at the end of some of those games, and I remember Brown University in particular. The goalie at the end turned around to the hecklers and applauded them, gave them thumbs up, and kind of smiled, and then ran ran back to the locker room. And I'm sure he was swearing about him, you know, that night. But it was like, wow, that guy is. I mean, he's operating on it, it to be able to put aside the things that he was hearing. Right, was pretty pretty big hearted. I think it was Bill Simmons, but a number of people that have a, a kind of a jaded view of Los Angeles sporting fans. Of you know, come and they watch Laker games or Dodger games and leave going like they're good fans. And there's something that you can appreciate the next time you watch that team play because wherever you're from, like I'm a Cubs fan, we cheer at the right time, we don't boo. 
When I lived in Austin, I would go to a UT game sometimes. The worst fans. Not because they're obnoxious. They didn't know the rules. You know, <laughs> someone would throw a pass incomplete and they go, Fumble! <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> and so you want a, a, a fan or, you know, fan base or sporting group to be able to whisper in unison like that? Or I love it. I, I, had, I had season tickets to the Nets. Uh, New Jersey Nets in like 1984. I was one of three people probably that had season tickets. It, just a partial package. There were so few people in the stands that you could hear individuals as they would cheer or jeer. <laughs> and uh, and I remember one game where the coach, you know, guy gets a foul. It's like his, and and the coach pulls him out. And one of the 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 you know hecklers in the in the in the stands were like, "Hey, coach, why are you pulling him out?" <laughs> and the coach looks up at him and he goes, "He's got four fouls on him." <laughs> it's like. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, and I don't have to explain this to you. Ask someone else. Well, there's no one around you, so yeah, I guess I can see why you'd ask the coach. <laughs> That's a really intimate fan base. That's In those days, we, we all knew each other. <laughs> I'll tell you why, Gary. You sit over further away. Go ask Stan. I'm busy. <laughs> ah, it all comes down to... Sp- the common enemy is it like I on my CD Humanitis I did a joke about that my friend Baron Vaughn did a joke very similar I sent him my version like hey man we have a really similar bit this Uh-oh. is interesting parallel thinking like yeah. certainly yeah. Uh, but I would say the n-word in it but in a very uh, and I, I've always been kind of waiting as this current kind of uh, woke period you know the wave crests or whatever someone would be listening to it, like oh my god mm. I think the sentiment in the joke is well understood but the thing that would be missing if someone contact me and say, how could you do this? Would be the, the, the assumption they'd be making there with me is that I did that joke only to white audiences, only with around white comedians. Right. And so sometimes with art, we lose those sorts of things. Yeah. You look back on and go like, well, who do you think was playing in that band? It wasn't just a bunch of whoever's. It was, it, it, the time was a little different. And that's what allows you... At, so it, when you were saying it feels a little different. You know, it feels different now that you could say something that back then and people go, that's the problem. Back then it was inappropriate. Like... I, I hesitate to say that. And maybe in the 70s when we think, oh, man, they were all disco dancing and they were all doing this. Like, it was different, certainly. Obviously, a variety of things that were a problem. But as far as one-to-one human interactions, they're maybe not always, not always as we characterize them. And so when you see things like a sports team or whatever, or a group of fans being able to come together – that's amazing to me that like 5,000 people that probably all have very different political beliefs, probably all harbor very different thoughts about who keeps their yard a certain way or drives their car or whatever, can in that moment put all that stuff aside and be like, we, can, we really can just focus here and we like this. So whether that's the planet or the United States or specifically the planet with your background, maybe we should get into that eventually. I mean, Love to. we're talking about the Green Circle <clears throat> Award winner here. You are indeed. You are indeed. I, I, in fact, I was, uh, you know, I, I haven't done too much in the environmental field really since i retired i did a little bit of of contract work but it's it's very interesting to see um on every level how the and and i think of myself as an engineer and a scientist sort of first that that politics and opinion have crept into the scientific debate and it really makes me very sad Mm-hmm. Because the the essence of of uh, of science is, and the way science makes progress is, uh, you know, I 
put forth a theory. Uh, whether you like me or hate me, you can test it uh, and then say, oh, shucks, I got the same results you got. Or, ah, ha, I got something different than you got. You yeah. must have fudged the data. Mm -hmm. And then so and I pull out all of my numbers and you pull out all of your numbers and we go through it. Uh, and, and either you're right or I'm right. And we move on from there. And when people are no longer sharing data, when people say, well, I've I did the experiment, I did it right, and this is my conclusion, and you just have to believe me. Yeah, and so, and this now justifies my taxing your whatever, or my candidate, or my whatever. It, it, it's, it really, really saddens me. Uh, when I was in Connecticut doing air compliance work, uh, the Connecticut DEP Second to none, I thought, in, in a lot of things. And one of it, one of the things they did best was they would go to the regulated community and say, our goal is to reduce the oxides of nitrogen, NOx, this, this amount, because uh, we are, are, uh, uh, we've got too much smog, we've got too much uh, uh, ozone in the air, uh, you know, uh, this is our goal. Uh, rather than just put limits on things, can you guys suggest a better way for us to get those that savings? And a lot of times there were uh, people that said, well, we'd like to re replace our old emergency generator that pours out tons of NOx, but, you know, it's permitted. And to get a new permit takes a year and a half. Yeah. And I got to have this thing running. And so if you could speed up the permitting process a little bit, then I would I'd voluntarily retire that unit and take you know, 50 tons of NOx out of the year, uh, out of the air uh, per year. Mm -hmm. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, so they would write that into the regulations and in some cases. And so there was a lot of, of cooperative progress being made. And, and in Connecticut, uh, you know, we're downwind of the whole United States. And so uh, even if we shut down the state, we probably couldn't make many of the air standards that, we, that we're supposed to be able to make. Because uh, you're oh, catching every – and it's so crowded over there in the east. And it, I don't think of the winds blowing in that direction. They really do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> – the uh the all the modeling data is really it's 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 uh very depressing if you live in Connecticut because everyone's uh, like two weeks we've just been laid sleeping in sleeping bags and, and yep. no one's lit a fire just started Nothing. a car we turned off all the furnaces it's the dead of winter we've you know walked and bicycled everywhere and we're still you know 10% over the national <laughs> ambient air quality standard for for Knox and and it's it's true and it's gone to to court and they said too bad everybody's got to make the standard and so if you're on the west coast it's Did great Anyone at that meeting bring up building a wall? <laughs> probably, probably. That may be where it, where it originated. It'll be 300 feet tall, and with some fans at the top, we'll just push it all back or over us. But but what happened uh, toward the very end of my career, and it kind of probably hastened the end of my career to some extent, was that uh, they rolled. Of course, they did regulations for CO. They did uh, uh, you know carbon monoxide. Then there's sulfur oxides, which cause acid rain, and they had a tremendous success story with uh, getting rid of, of sulfur oxides. These all these uh, lakes in the Northeast that have been sterilized because of acid rain have been brought back to life, uh, and uh, uh, the and the, th that problem has has gone away due to a lot of innovative of work that they did. So uh, case by case, they took these pollutants on and had great success. Then came CO2. So they, they rolled out some regulations for CO2, some proposed regulations. And so we said, oh, why don't we sit down and have a talk about it like we've done for all the others? And they said, nope, nope, the, uh, the UN says this, and that's what we're going with. Weird. And it wasn't, you know, for, for me, it was like, why this change? You know, 
the people in the regulated community, listen, we don't wish, we wish we weren't regulated, but we understand why we have to be. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like speed limits on, on, the, on the highway. And, and, the, and the people that work for the big, bad corporations that do the environmental work, you know, you can really appreciate the position they're in because mm-hmm. their bosses are saying production, production, production. And, and the, the government's saying, you got to meet these numbers or we are going to fine you big time. Yeah. And we'll shut you down and we'll, you know, put your name in the paper and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for we in the regulated community, we, we, you didn't have any, there was no way to, nobody to talk to. And so that's when I began to see that this was different from all the other things I'd done in my career. Ultimately, I, I concluded that it wasn't a scientific question anymore. This is a political question. And as a scientist, I'm not really equipped to do that. It's not anything I enjoy. I like crunching the numbers and, and like that, being a nerd. Were you still working when you did Professor Blastoff the first time? Yeah. So you're still in it. So it was around that period. And it's funny, like that seems like such a touchstone or turning point period because no one as a guest took more grief than you did <laughs> for just and like you were just talking about the scientific method of saying well say i'm 90 percent sold i don't know if i'm 100 and it involved global warming or climate change yeah. and you and i were kind of obviously the idea that everyone would live in an agrarian society where we didn't even have fumes going in the air is right. ideal i sure. mean we both care about the planet we live Most in national people, parks yeah, yeah a beautiful gorgeous the planet is obscenely pretty pristine yeah yeah and so coming into it from that point of view i think the people that were pushing back none of them green circle award winners <laughs> indeed but they had this maybe they were on the the front edge of like you're giving credence to this other group you're giving a little bit of credit to this group that is 100% political. It has you're allowing them to say, "Well, we can go drill into that national park because uh, science hasn't proven anything." And then maybe that was that where that fear was coming from, whereas you and I were being like, "No, I'm j- I just yes, 97% of the world's scientists agree. We were at the time just saying, "I still don't know if that 100% concludes it," which I think is very scientific. But man, the pushback. And now I feel like you and I are probably more on the side of being like, because it's so political, yes, you idiots, climate change is real. But, uh, so anyway. No, it, you're, you're so right. And, and, and it, was, it really wasn't all that bad, but it was, it was interesting to me. I found out how thin-skinned I am, and I could never <laughs> do what you do for a living because hecklers, bombing, any of that, I would just go home and cry. <laughs> and I, I remember reading the comments and, oh, you must be in, you're in the pay of the, and he's not a climatologist, he's just a, 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 a chemical engineer. <laughs> he works for ExxonMobil. Yeah, he's supposed to be getting checks. Um, <laughs> I think what it was, was they heard a voice that wasn't shouting condemnation as loud as their voice was. Mm-hmm. Because after we did that, that podcast, I listened back to it, almost biting my nails, th- listening for have i misspoken somewhere have i have i overstepped because i was so careful i couched what i said so i really almost didn't say anything (laughs) and uh, but it's 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 so interesting though that that i talked to a lot of people uh some comedians uh friends of mine the sclars that i I talked to from time to time yeah absolutely and and you know they're very you know uh, they they want to uh obviously protect the planet and they're concerned because of what they they have heard uh and and i I've I've said, listen, I don't think that man has had no impact on the planet. We definitely had impact on the planet. And I can certainly characterize it as negative Mm -hmm. because look at uh, Acadia National Park, look at downtown Pittsburgh or wherever you want to look. No no offense to Pittsburgh. But but the the, the difficulty in trying to uh, explain, okay, there's a a certain amount 
that we should be using of the planet, and then there's a certain amount we should be preserving of the planet. And I, I, I have, again, in this, this uh, new book I, I've written, uh, when I was a child, we learned about natural resources. Natural resources are, is a natural supply of things to use. The Earth is our uh, lumber yard, and we're going to take from that and build spaceships and go to the stars, and we're going to populate the universe. And it wasn't like, yeah, and the hell with Earth, we'll just leave that, uh, you know, a cinder behind us. It was, yeah, we're going to take from the Earth and use that to, you know, advance mankind out into the, the world, almost the Carl Sagan kind of thing, the, the universe knowing itself. But of course, this, after the moon landings became boring and we the space program stopped, <laughs> uh, suddenly that, you know, that whole, um, what my generation was taught became was called into question Mm -hmm. and so then it was you know we started talking in our episode about sustainability on professor blastoff about well you know you man's got to eat but maybe we can find a way to eat without destroying anything so that you can eat again tomorrow and the next day and on and on and on Uh, then you start talking about populations a whole other story (laughs) but uh it's it's People, it's a very, very a strong hot button with people. And if you say again, if you if you don't condemn industry like the the industries that gave us life saving pharmaceuticals and you know fuels for our cars and so on and so forth, um, you know no one wants to go back into the cave. But it, it's a it's a one of those adult truths where you have to say I'd like the world to be clean. I'd like there to be no pollution. But I also have to get to work. And my I work so far away. I'm going to need to drive my car. Yeah. So what do I do? Yeah, I was talking to a guy recently who worked in the oil industry. He was in the explosive side. No college degree needed, just that roughneck kind of, I can do the work, really, really sort of foreign, almost like pioneering gold mining out there, just roughing it sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, he was saying, like, he'll sometimes just mention to people, like, oh, I work for the oil industry, and they'll just turn away. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, asking questions about fracking and things. Obviously, his paycheck comes directly, so he's got specific visions or views on it. But sure. It's hard it's hard to really condemn that unless you walk everywhere you go in shoes that you made out of natural fibers and on and on because anything surrounding you and you could say my your footprint is small but it is still probably in some way drawing from those places and you take a little medication like you were saying and still get online and go big pharmaceutical and which were all obviously there need to be a lot of changes throughout whether that's right it's not a perfect world no but it, it, you got to be really careful about what you want to tear down mm-hmm. uh, because you may tear down you know I, I saw a thing the other day about uh, the, the, the vice president of PETA who is a diabetic she takes bovine insulin which <laughs> violates PETA's you know uh, charter basically mm-hmm. but she doesn't want to die I can totally understand that yeah it's a reasonable sort of <laughs> and, and so yeah it, it's I think there's there's a, a you know, we talk about extremism and we can it's easy to see in others uh, but I think a lot of us have that as well where mm-hmm. we re, it's it's got to be all or nothing and there's no because because this is what you know this is wrong so I can't allow any of it to happen well, there's a lot of bad things that, that just do happen. Yeah. And uh, Well, I think we should. <laughs> that's a perfect sentence to take a little break of. There are a lot of bad things that just do happen. Sorry. <laughs> Refill our beers and uh, continue with part two. And the, the new book called... Not, not, that, that, anyone, not anyone, that Anyone Asked. Stephen Yates. <laughs> we'll check back with part two for Stephen, or with Stephen uh, next week. We get into it even further and talk more about... Um, kind of emotions and processing things and just being a human which uh which i like when it deviates that way to a certain degree when people have uh a scientific or otherwise you know um 
just whatever a, a field of expertise in their background and uh those things are obviously i really enjoy learning about those but i like getting to know the person as well and it felt like uh steven and i left knowing each other a little better and just a likable nice dude so check out his books and uh and try out some of that american pale ale it's delicious really i'm starting to uh gravitate toward those when i go into places now asking what type of beers they have if you're running a restaurant man maybe look into one of those american pale ales because i'll be coming through and hopefully ordering one it was great to be here in denver like i said that uh chad daniel special should be coming out at some point in the near future and i hope you check it out it was just real fun to be a part of and uh I don't know, just cool to see the the change, you know, when you see that happen with your friends, when these kind of, you watch someone work for so long, so hard, and then uh, sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't, and uh, it's just nice when it does. I think if you listen to Professor Blastoff, you get to kind of experience that with Tig and see this kind of dramatic wave cresting period where like, whoa, more and more people are getting familiar with this person, and I think that's happening again with Chad, and it's just... There's a weird level of pride there. It's not probably not the same as like watching your ti- uh, your child do well, but it, I don't. It's just like seeing your friends do well. It gives you this weird sense of like this is fantastic. So made me real happy to see crowds lined up around the block and things like that for just so many years of going into clubs with you know people there, people excited, people enjoying the show. But it's just not the same. You can feel it when it changes when people are uh, lining up to take photos and they're coming with CDs to have heavy sign and things like that so it was it was a real treat and again the special whew, he really he really oh uh, i i don't like all the common comedy terms crushed and killed and murdered and all this it's it's too violent but he did do great and um it was good to get out there and, and do stand-up again so maybe i'll uh get back in that mode again i don't know why i've been reticent and anyway not to dive uh get too off track or deviate too much but anyway thanks for supporting the show especially those of you on patreon i really appreciate it um it's a small group maybe that's why i feel comfortable deviating and and meandering a little bit because it's a those of you who listen i feel like you like the show and you're into it great if you're it's your first time listening like i don't think i'll be checking back in understandable i normally don't ramble this much but uh yeah the amount of patreon subscribers it matches up pretty well with the amount of ratings the show has on iTunes. It's a pretty slim amount for having done it nearly three years now, but I don't mind. I like doing the show, and I like that it has some value to those of you who listen. And I don't, there's something about, like, when you, especially endeavors of enjoyment, whether it's artistic or otherwise these days, you get a lot of people telling you, oh, you gotta do this and do that, and a lot of it has to do with social media. You gotta be out there pumping it up and all this, and I don't want to have to do things I like and run them like a small business. I'd, I'd rather have, I'd rather, I don't know, maybe that's a something I need to work through or something, I don't know, but it takes all the joy out of it when you're just looking at it like a project and going about doing all the things. So I like to just quietly do it and put it out there, and the fact that some of you enjoy it, uh, it means a lot. So thanks for supporting the show, and if you have any suggestions or anything, pings at the Space Cave or Twitter, space underscore cave. You can play some music from a Los Angeles band that I really like. You've probably heard of them. They're starting to bubble up a little bit. Uh, they croon. I really like that croon sound. And I like this song. Hope you do too. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Here's Low Moon with This Is It. Innocently vacant 
yesterday's drugs should never be taken. I fell into rotation, surrender, mistaken. Thank you.